Welcome to the Landmark Theatres Film Club podcast. Today we'll hear a discussion about Blaze with director Ethan Hawke during the film's opening weekend at the Landmark in Los Angeles. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. What did you think of Blaze? Please welcome the director of Blaze, Ethan Hawke. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This is fun. Well, I, first question is, it's sort of a cliche, but how did this come about? Why Blaze Foley? All right, can I give you the real answer? The real answer. All right, so the truth is, uh, I'm falling on the, take yourself back about 12 years. Okay. Okay, and I'm falling in love with my wife, and she's a best friend, and her name is Beth. They've been best friends since the second grade. And you know when you're falling in love with somebody, you have to pass through certain gates of approval, Yep. right? <laughs> so I had to pass through the Beth gate of approval. Well, Beth has her longstanding boyfriend, Ben, right? And so I have to go out to dinner with Beth and Ben. Turns out Ben's from Arkansas. Turns out Ben's a musician. Turns out Ben is like one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Things go well. I get approved by Beth and Ben, yep. right? And You're things in. go on, and I get married. Great. Okay. Well, I take an interest in Ben. Turns out he's the lead singer of this, you know, pretty dynamite rock and roll band called Blood Feathers in Philly. And I start watching them, and I start following them, and I really believe in them. And we go because Beth and Ryan are great friends. We go on vacation together, and Ben's sleeping on my couch, and I wake up in the morning to him practicing the piano and writing songs. And I feel like Neil Young lives in my house. It's <laughs> awesome. And lo and behold, it's about New Year's Eve, uh, 2015 into 16. And over the last five or so years, I watched Ben take some real hits on the chin. You know, the music business is super tough. Yeah. He was writing with so much love and so much passion, and he just get, kept getting hit with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, yeah. and the band broke up, and he was, uh, you know, to say blue would be to make it light, right? Mm -hmm. He was super, he, his heart was heavy. And I said to him, you know, it's New Year's Eve, we're drinking, it's true. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and he said, and I say, remember Blaze Foley, because he had taught me about Blaze Foley. Oh, and over wow. the years, he had, you know, he, we had shared our love of music and the outlaw country music scene. And, you know, John Prine in 2006 had covered Clay Pigeons. And I had said it was my favorite John Prine song. And Ben said, no, 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 that's Blaze Foley. I'm like, who the hell is Blaze Foley? Well, you know Lucinda Williams? Yeah. Well, she wrote Drunken Angel about, all oh, right. You know Willie Nelson? Yeah. Okay. He wrote, uh, wow. you know, he covered If I Could Only Fly. And so then as the internet started exploding, Ben would always, we would find new Blaze Foley songs. And so that night, I said, you know, remember Blaze, meaning there are so many people in the world, blues artists, blues musicians, you know, Blind Willie McTell, Lightning Hopkins, you name them, people who were operating in music at a genius level who couldn't find a place in the commercial market. Right? And yeah. that didn't mean what they had to offer wasn't a value. That didn't mean that what they were contributing to whatever the hell the cosmic consciousness is wasn't vital. Right? And I was saying that to him, and he picked up my guitar, and he said, well, he imitated this from the, you can get it online, you know, the outhouse tapes. He said, well, if you give me one whiskey for medicinal porpoises, maybe we can save the whales, right? <laughs> and, and, and I was like, you should play Blaze Foley in a movie, right? And this is when? 
2000, New Year's Eve, 2015 into 16. Okay, gotcha. And the drunker we got, <laughs> the more I thought, this was a fucking great idea. Because I started thinking about biopics and how much I hate them. And, and I hate them because they're always about somebody famous. And they somehow digress into being about the trials of celebrity. And I thought, wow, I could use the story of Blaze to be the story of creativity. And it could be a much more accurate life portrait of what it means to be in the, uh, the professional arts, which is to be mostly met with indifference, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, that's sure. what, and so this could be a really cool movie. Now, the trouble was I had no idea what the story was. I just had Ben, who I believed in, and Blaze, who I believed in. And the next step began the process. But I've never in my life, that was, that was almost two years to the date before we premiered the movie, the first night you uh, saw Sundance, it. Yeah. And I've almost never had anything go from idea to completion in 24 months. That's pretty, pretty fast. weird. Yeah. Well, 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 first of all, you know, the, like, like what I discovered about Blaze Foley watching the movie, you know, I sort of like, you know, did research after the film. Like so many people were inspired, were inspired by Blaze Foley that you know about but not enough people knew about Blaze Foley. It was like so many people and so many bands were inspired by Graham Parsons, but yeah, right. not a lot of people know who Graham Parsons is. Um, but like, so, so, okay, you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's make this movie. Then how do you really make the film? How do you like, like go into maybe someone who has finance and say, I want to make a movie about no, Blaze Foley. that would Foley. never work. I'm right. smart enough <laughs> to know that nobody would let me do this. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I got a great idea. There's a musician no one's ever heard of. And I have this actor. He's never acted before. And no, you haven't heard of him. Um, but it's going to be great, right? You know, that is a surefire way to not make yeah, a movie. Thanks a lot, right? bye. Yeah, yeah. No, so what I did was I went to Austin, and I tried to pick up the trail of Blaze. And my wife and I went down there, maybe to visit where he was murdered, uh, I don't know, but the first thing I did was meet this journalist, Lewis Black, who had covered Blaze and Towns' shows in the day. And I asked him, you know, hey, you knew Blaze, what's the movie? And he said, have you read his wife's book? Yeah. And I said, that guy had a wife? And, and he said, well, kind of. And, and so I read her memoir called Living in the Woods in a Tree. And the combination of knowing that he was shot and killed, and that this duct tape messiah that people call him, this guy with this huge beard, homeless man who lived in dumpsters at the end of his life, his creative life had started falling in love in a treehouse with this actress that he believed in. I thought, now that's the stuff of legend. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the country western opera if I ever heard that's one. And, and that, so I, I went and looked, saw it after Sybil, and I became fast. Sybil and I, she's an actor. I'm an actor. She's a writer. I'm a writer. We had a very similar hit on time in the kind of magic way that music approaches time. Because music transcends time. For sure. Unlike, yeah. I mean, whether you want to talk about the Beatles or whether you want to talk about Mozart or whether you want to talk about Blind Willie McTell, whatever you want. They're um, a song in the way it touches you in the way it could touch your children, in the way it could have touched your father. It, it, it transcends time. It's magical 
thing. And I thought, wow, this would, this would be a serious, I could make a musical, basically, with what is, for 97% of the years, all new music, with music that has already stood the test of time, right? And that was a huge... I was like, this, the idea just started getting better and better to me. Well, this is your third feature film. Uh, you know, you did documentaries, you did shorts. Uh, your first movie, 2001, Chelsea Waltz. Mm -hmm. So over the years, all the directors you've worked with, especially one in particular who you cast in this movie, uh, <laughs> Richard Linklater, that <laughs> was a very, very cool cameo. Um, like, how did, did the uh, directors you worked with over the Affect years... Me? wind up influencing you, your, 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 your well, narrative structure on this. You know, we're in L.A., and so there's probably a lot of people here who care a lot about film. And, and one of the things that frustrates me about film school is they'll very often teach editing or they teach cinematography, or they make their directors be cinematographers for other people's films. But if you look at the history of film, and this is going to sound self-aggrandizing towards my own profession, but if you really look at let's say most people's list of top 50 filmmakers of all time, mm -hmm. right? There's a good portion of them are gonna be actors. Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Warren Beatty, Woody Allen, Orson Welles, John Cassavetes. You know I mean? It's, it's a profession that lends itself to directing, but they don't teach acting, you know? And I've always wondered about that. Like it's acting and directing are interpretive arts. They're very, very similar. And one of the beautiful things about, the reason why I think Redford makes a great director, right, is because Robert Redford has worked with a lot of the best directors of his era, right? Yeah, Linkletter has only been on Richard Linkletter sets. <laughs> he thinks making a movie is what being on his set is like. He has no idea what it's like to be on a Sidney Lumet set or a Peter Weir set or a Rebecca Miller set. He doesn't have any idea of what these different hits and you learn as an actor that there's no right way to make a movie and there's no wrong way right. you know that there's so many different ways to to, to do this um yes rick has had a huge impression on my heart of course um i've made it uh for lack of a better word a shit ton of movies with him yeah. and and um <laughs> i knew i th i wanted him in this movie because he loves acting that's where i was going with that you know he he uh one of the reasons, I met Charlie Sexton, who plays Towns Van Zandt in this, on the set of Boyhood. And Rick had met Charlie in acting class at Austin. This is a director and a musician who were both interested in acting enough to take acting. And I was, and so when I met Charlie, he had the little part we were playing like divorced dads, living together. And, but he, he's, he's in, for those of you who don't know, he's in Bob Dylan's band. He's a major musician. I mean, a very, very serious, take the roof off your head musician. Yep. But he's, serious about acting enough to like take classes and want to talk about he had all these questions for me and I was like man somebody should give this guy a real part and I also know that Rick loves acting and I, I had these Houston oil men Rick's from Houston he actually worked offshore oil and I put him with Rosencrantz and Gildestern uh, <laughs> Sam Rockwell and, and, and yeah. Steve Zahn and um, I, I had this idea that um, Blaze and I don't know this for a fact, I just know this through my own experience in the arts, is that there's a large portion of some very sincere artists sometimes that have an allergy to the people who have the money and power to make their dreams come true. It's like, they should be nice to this person, but instead they say, they punch him in the nose. And 
Blaze Foley was discovered. This oil men in Houston, they believed in him. Yeah. They paid for a tour. They brought him to New York, and he met Towns Van Zandt, and they had a party in the Gramercy Park Hotel where they invited homeless people to come to the roof of Gramercy Park Hotel and put the entire label out of business. Wow. Right? Yep. That was their reaction to doing something nice for them. You know, but why? Why was he? You think, I mean, it's not the first time that a, a musician, actor, artist uh, of any kind was self-destructive. Mm. That that they turned their back on people who love them to chase their muse. What is the like? What is the appeal? Why does people have to suffer for art like that? The positive way of thinking about it is some level of authenticity. That uh, he's trying to sing about the dispossessed. He's trying to sing about the true experience of life. And there is some type of feeling when you have to sell yourself mm. that feels phony. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, there's a, a certain type of person that rolls their eyes at anybody who wants to make money, right? That the accumulation of wealth to a person like Blaze is antithetical to what he's living for. Right. And so it's a problem. Now, that's half the truth. The other half is self-hatred and self-loathing and a feeling of unworthiness and a fear that they won't real, aren't really good enough. And that combination of insecurity and arrogance, I mean, that's, uh, people love to think that they have this kind of dualistic thinking that it's either right or it's left. It's, um, it's up or it's down, you know? It's one thing. And our lives are so much more mysterious than that. You know, they're so messy. Our, our hearts are so sloppy. And, and uh, I was hoping to capture that feeling of like, well, part of it's authenticity and part of it is insecurity. Totally. And part of it is depression. Like he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, yeah. you know? You know, uh, how did you approach making this film? Did you approach it as a work of, of nonfiction, which it, it is, or did you approach it as a as a work of fiction? Fiction, you know, I, I, none, we live in a great area of Wikipedia. You can Google Blaze Foley. You can find out all the facts like that. You know, you can, you can find video of him playing a wedding in Austin in 1983 right tonight. You can go home and do that. And, and so the idea of doing a reenactment was not interesting to me. One of the great values of the fact that most people here haven't heard of Blaze is that Ben doesn't have to do an uh, an impression. You know, if you do, I played Chet Baker, you know, uh, Will Smith played Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, um, there's uh, Joaquin did Johnny Cash, you know, and you have to kind of tip your hat to the iconography of said famous person. Ben didn't have to do that. We could actually make a blues song about Blaze Foley, and I wanted to make a, a movie about de depression, Human creativity, love, sex, death, and friendship, right? It's like a, just a classic subject matter of a good blues song. I'm sorry for your troubles, man, but everybody's got it, you, you know? I mean, that's, that's it. And so I didn't want to pay. I wanted to use Blaze's music and the way that his spirit affected me and the way it affected Ben and the way it affected Sybil yeah. to, to make a piece of art. You know, because if I made a movie about your 
life, right? From your mom's point of view, it's one movie. If I write it from your ex-boyfriend's point of view, it's a different movie. If I write it from your best friend's point of view, it's a different movie. I mean, we all are, th there's no one movie of any one person's life. It's not possible. That's a good point. That's a very good point. You know, um, Ben, Benjamin Dickey, let's hear it for Benjamin Dickey, ladies and gentlemen, man, I mean. <laughs> I was so floored. I'll tell him you did I, 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 you know, at the, at the uh, screening at Sundance, I, I ran to the front of the theater after the movie was over um, and just, you know, just had to, I had to shake his hand. I was, I geeked out. I totally geeked out about it. But, but so when you were, when you were rehearsing the film, when you're preparing the film, when you were making the movie, when did you just like sit back and just like go, holy shit, this guy is amazing. I knew he was amazing before we started, right? Yeah. I mean, I really did. I knew I was. I knew he was a special musician. I, I cannot tell you guys, the gross way I underestimated the pressure of acting in a movie. Right. I, I brought my friend into the middle of a storm. I mean, what what he was when I first offered him this part, you know, he thought I was kidding. You know, that night, he's like, cool, dude, whatever. Yeah, great, thanks. <laughs> you know, and then, and then a couple months later, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm writing this thing. He's like, cool, I guess. Yeah. And then about, um, and it was about August, I, I, I met him. I said, look, I got to look you in the eyes. And, and we met, and I said, listen, I'm going to do this. You know, are, wow. are, you, are you down? And he was man like. Man of your word, man. Uh, he was like, yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. Is, he didn't know. I remember he, he, he said to me, so I'm going to learn all Blaze's songs. But the trouble is, as I started writing it, the expanse of the part kept increasing. Right? Like, at first, I, I thought maybe it was going to be a music, like he'd just play the songs and I'd film it or something, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it started growing, and I sent him to Vincent D'Onofrio for acting lessons, and he was like, yeah, this is wow. kind of fun. You sent to kind Vincent D'Onofrio? Yeah, and Vincent's intense, right? That I mean, is I mean, intense. Yeah. That guy is very intense. And, and, and so Ben was found himself, and then what happens is we're on set, and 50 people are, like, leaving their kids and living in this little community, and cinematographers, sound designers, costume designers – the pressure got so intense. Sure, you're making a and, movie. Yeah. And I mean, and he was like, buddy, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and he was like, I think I can do this. It was a really funny moment. So a couple days before shooting, he's like, I just, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you you got so many bigger problems than that. I said, you have no idea. I mean, this is about the sweetest damn thing I've ever heard. Yeah, you're about to be shot, and you're worried about what you're going to do with your hands. Um, and uh, so I had, I did it. I realized that because I've been acting since I was 13, right? I, I there's a lot of things I take for granted, and so I tricked him, and I said we were going to do a week of camera tests. You know, and that I wasn't, I, I wasn't sure about this new camera. And I think it doesn't work, and I don't think I like it. And we've got these lenses, and I think they're bogus. Because I did, I got these lenses from Romania. I was trying to get a different 80s look. So I got these communist lenses, right? And, and, um, and they're really good. But I was pretending, yeah, and I would, we would do a scene, and Ben would screw up a line, and I'd say to the DP, you know, these lenses suck. We're going to have to redo this. And Ben's like, hey, I'm sorry. Oh, don't worry about these lenses. They're terrible. Let's just do it again. And slowly, Alia Shawcat. Oh, she's it, great, by the way, Alia Shawcat. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and she believed in Ben. 
And she started buying into this idea. And she's a deeply relaxed person. She's a deeply centered performer. And she's very... Uh, appealing person to be around you know we all have like you know you see it like in quarterbacks or something she's the type of person that makes you feel like everything's gonna go okay right and i remember ben before the first day of camera test he's like you know and you have to understand if you know ben he's six five he's huge and he's so confident and he's so cool and he's so relaxed and he i mean if he were here you'd fall so in love with him the way he talks and thinks and and to see him nervous was shocking. You know, he's like, listen, Alia, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, my spaghetti house is on fire here, you know? And, 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 and he, I remember him saying, I'm just about as nervous in the service as I could be. And she just, you know, looked at me and said, me too. And we're going to do this together. And so I just gave him some real simple exercises of listening and talking. And the funny thing is Ben had such a crush on her oh, that wow. he forgot to be nervous. It's very hard not to have a crush on Alia. Yeah. And he just started wanting to impress Alia. And he started doing this and talking. And before too long, he was, him, he was his confidence arrived. Wow. You know? And it was very exciting. And so I guess it was about two weeks or so in that you just I watched my friend take flight. And I remember turning to the DP, who I'd promised that this was going to happen. And he looked at me. And it's really exciting. That's great. I, I want to I take questions from the audience. Uh, but, but right there, yes. Hi. So, um, what advice would you have for someone out here in L.A. who feels like a blaze? Well, dude. What advice would you have for someone out here in L.A. who feels like a blaze? It's a reason to make the movie. Right. I mean, that's that's the truth. That's that's the reason to make the movie. Um, it's that the world is full of shit. It's just I mean, look, look around you. You know, look, look, look what makes money and look what doesn't make money. And you have to um, I remember I, I had the good fortune of being 25 and meeting Richard Linklater who said to me, because I'd actually heard, it's before the idea of this movie was a dream, I'd seen in 94, I'd seen this interview. I love Towns Van Zandt. He was my hero. He is my hero. But I saw this interview where he said, you know, if you want to be real, you got to give it all away. You know, forget your family, forget friends, forget, wow. you know. And, and I was, it's something about it stripped me naked, made me feel like a total fake and a poser, you know. And, and I was telling Rick about this, and Rick said, you know what? I don't buy that. I don't buy it at all. I believe that what is our work in service of, and if your work is in service of the art form, whatever it is, if your creativity expresses itself in taking care of kids, whatever the hell it is, architecture, music, rock and roll, whatever it is, if you're in service of it, then you are of value. And you trust, like I trust that acting is a value. When I watch a great performance, I don't, I may not get to do it, but I know that the profession has value. You know, Neil Young, when I listen to him play music, when I listen to Lightning Hopkins or whatever, I know the profession of making music has value. And I want to be in service of that. And if that's my goal, then I can't fail. 
you know, because I don't get to decide which wave, who gets to be Bob Dylan and who gets to be Emily Dickinson. and who We don't get to decide that. But we can decide to be of service. And if you do that, then you're not asking always for what's coming back to you. You, you know, you can just, and, and, that, and then your confidence can gain uh, because you know you're of value because you're serving this art form and you can trust in it. Right? That's my answer. Got time for one more in the hat right here. It's a weird thing. Yeah. A gentle person who fought a lot. Yeah, I wonder if you could shed some light on how you chose those things out and why. That's a great question. That's a great question. It's just a great question. And, you know, people ask me that on set, you know. Uh, there's a pornography to violence that we're inundated with, you know. And if you've ever been in a bar and somebody punched somebody else, it's, you know, your, your spine, like, moves in a we it's not like watching Aragorn chop the heads off of orcs you know it's it's different you, you know and and I feel like the history you know I met a lot of people that know Blaze and people that knew him at the end of his life you would hear people say you know he's an asshole why are you making a movie about him and he was an addict at the end right a full-blown addict and um and you'd hear people go, oh, don't listen to him. He's an asshole. Blaze is always sweet as can be. He deserved a punch in the face. You know what I mean? It was very fascinating walking around Austin trying to figure this out. And uh, I don't like violence. And I don't, there's a great Spike Lee quote that always has unnerved me because he talked about that you actually can't photograph drug use without making it sexy. It's like you were watching Train Spotting. I remember leaving the theater going, God, I'd kind of like to try heroin. <laughs> Do, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I did. Like, it makes it look really cool. I, and and, and uh, it's, you can't, the simple act of photographing it celebrates it, right? And I like the idea of photographing someone clean up the broken glass, photographing him spitting the blood out, you know, photographing him walking out of the house shot in the gut. I don't know what happened that night. I know it takes two bad drivers to have an accident, you know? And I think something, I, I, I don't like glorifying violence. And it, it is a part of storytelling. It's a part, humanity loves it. We love, from Julius Caesar, Hamlet, right? You know, I mean, the, the, all those Greek plays, the, yeah. you know, they're chopping out their own eyes. We love it, I don't know why. But I was trying to do something else and not pimp out the violence of it. It's just a gut feeling. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please, please spread the good word. This movie has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is the advertising budget. Right here. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it right here. You are the advertising budget. Thank spread you. the word. Thank you so Ethan much. Ethan Hawke, yes. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a great night. 
Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatre's Film Club podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear Q&As with talent from new independent films opening at the Landmark. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of these Q&As and more exclusive content. See you next time.